One man said we ought to have, we should have as much sense as the airlines have. When you go walking up to the counter of the airlines, they do not ask you where you have been. They ask you where do you want to go. And tonight, that's it. That's what God is asking you. Amen? How many of you have been listening carefully to these meetings and what God has been saying? How many of you were here Sunday morning? Let me see your hand. All right. That means you understand something of salvation by grace through faith because of the preaching of the gospel. Amen? There's something about the cross that no matter how many times you talk about it, how much you think about it, it's just, it gets more powerful all the time. The Bible says over in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19, said, It pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. All things, I say, whether there be things in heaven or things in earth. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. In about three or four verses, you have the story of what Jesus did for us. We've been hearing about the gospel. The first time I came to Peniel, I can't remember when that was, but the first time I came, I preached on the subject of our assignment dash the gospel. And I was very excited about it then, but I didn't know that you were that excited about it until I began to talk to the bishop a few weeks ago in Tulsa, and he began to tell me what he was thinking about for this conference. And I had no trouble getting myself in the, in the uh, mood, a mood or mood, uh, of talking about what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took care of every sin, every failure, every problem we ever had, if we will only trust him. As ministers of the gospel, now, we change from time to time, but the gospel does not change. And as we grow, as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Son of God, we evolve into a growth process with God where we are more able to appropriate all the wonderful things that he has done for us. Now, if you say, well, bless God, you don't grow in grace, you have it all. But the Bible says you do. In the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, through the years, I have grown in my understanding of the grace of God. Now, the grace of God, as far as God is concerned, has not changed. But when I was a kid and my parents got saved, I was six years old. And they took me to a church that was about 40 feet wide, a building, about 60 feet long, had a sawdust floor and homemade benches and pews. 
And uh, they changed the name of the church every once in a while. Uh, at one time, it was a, called a Holiness Church. At another time, it was called a Pentecostal Church. And finally, we really got uptown, and they called it the First Pentecostal Church. But from my own personal experience, they should have had a sign on the front of the church, the first church of condemnation, because that's what went on there. That's what they did. And everybody that came, it seemed to be that their assignment was to bring you into this condemnation. But I want to tell you this. You don't have to do anything yourself except come to him and believe. Now, we had a deal in, in our little church, the First Church of Condemnation. All, all of our ladies, by the way, didn't look all that good. They, uh, their husbands looked good. Their husbands dressed good. You couldn't tell their husbands from a, a lawyer or a doctor or a gambler. But, but their wives were different, and, and, and they, they were not really made up. So when women would come to the altar for salvation... We had a core of people that were all ready for them that came and told them what they had to do to become acceptable to God. And one lady would get on one side and say, Honey, if you'll just let the sle your sleeves come down to, to where your wrists are, God will save you. And, and the one on the other side, if you will go to the restroom right now and wash your face and get all of the color off of your face, God will save you. And I'll never forget how surprised I was one day to see a woman raising her hands and praising God in another place where I was, and she was all made up, and she had dangling earrings, and she didn't have long sleeves, and she did not have a bun on the back of her head. And I, I, I wondered in the beginning, could she really be saved? But one day I came to the conclusion that, you know, it was by grace through faith. And, and I want to talk to you tonight about this thing called the gospel again. Now, Bishop Reed has been talking about the fact that we are in Christ. And uh, I know of no man with a greater love for people and no man with a greater desire to spread the gospel. But sometimes you hear him walking down the platform here talking real rough. You say, boy, that's a rough guy. And, and then you see him with somebody that desperately needs help, and he's uh, reaching out with compassion and love to them, and he's the same guy that was talking real rough and telling you to hit the door a few minutes ago, and you wonder, who is this guy, you know? But, but he's all of the above. <laughs> but, but the beautiful, oh, by the way, he's slightly opinionated too. <laughs> or, or, or did you not know that? But, but you know, he's in good company. Uh, Elisha was opinionated. Uh, uh, Martin Luther was opinionated. He had the opinion that James didn't even belong in the Bible. And uh, one time threw it or cut it out. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was opinionated. And, and Barbara, what do you think about me? You think I... All right. She, said, she says that I qualify. But I've come to tell you something unusual. Uh... I've come to tell you that the gospel is not the end of the story. I've come to tell you that there is a purpose to the gospel. Now, we talk, we say, well, I believe in the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel, and that's absolutely true. I believe that with all my heart. 
But I, I want to tell you that there is a purpose to the gospel. Many people have a watered-down message, and they don't want to preach about the blood of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I believe that. But what I also believe is that there is a purpose to the gospel. There is a purpose to it. Many people are going around and they are saying that they are preaching the gospel and they are saying the right formula. They say all of those things that Bishop read for us last night from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They say all of those things, but they are like a young mother that gives birth to a child and then just leaves it on the street and walk away. But the gospel has an objective, and the objective of the gospel is not only the salvation of your soul, not only the fact that you will have eternal life, but the purpose of the gospel is that God Almighty brought something into existence through the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church. And the way that Jesus Christ was going to build his church, he was not going to stay on this earth and just go around and visit every nation and every country. The Bible said he called 12 that they might be with him. And after spending some time with them, the Bible said he sent them out. And he said, the first thing you do is go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he said, don't take anything special to wear. Don't take any money. Don't take anything. And when they came back, he said, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. They had not lacked, lacked one thing at all because they had gone out with a message that he gave them. The sick got healed, and people got just absolutely transformed by their message. But then the day came that Jesus was already dead, already buried, already lifted up, and he gave them another commission. He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It wasn't exclusive. It just, just go and preach the gospel. We used to be afraid in our little condemnation church that the wrong people would come in and they, they, they would think that they were saved without coming into all of the things that we thought they ought to have and all of the ways that we thought they ought to look and they'd slip in and somehow God would get them saved. I'll never forget, back in 1952, I was in the process of, of a transformation. I was out of my denomination as far as my name was concerned, but there was something still a part of me that I had been trained in that I, I, I wasn't out of those things. I, I was still trying to help God sort it all out and make sure that the wrong people did not get into the kingdom of God. And Barbara and I were invited to Scandinavia to preach, and we were up there and uh, we got finished there, and we went into from, from Stockholm over to Denmark for about a month and uh, toured all of the churches there. And then we ended up in Hamburg, Germany. 
And I'm in Germany one night, and the power of God fell in the meeting. People began to rush out of their seats, and they were down here crying unto the Lord, I want to be saved. And other people were dramatically and miraculously healed, and other people began to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all at once, one man came up to me, and my interpreter said, he wants you to pray. He wants God to baptize him in the Holy Spirit. And I reached out to do it, and just before I touched him, thank the Lord. Uh, just in time, I smelled something on his breath, and I knew that he had had a little wine before he came to the service, and I knew, I knew from all of my teaching and all of my training that God was not only, not only he wasn't going to baptize them in the Holy Ghost, he wasn't even going to save them if they had dared take a little taste of wine. So all of you sinners that are fooling around and that sort of thing, I had you excluded from the kingdom of God. And all at once, I, turned, I backed up. This really happened. I'm not just preaching. I'm telling the truth, all right? And uh, I backed up, and I said, oh, God, what can I do about this? And all at once, I heard this word. It's your business to lay hands on him, and it's my business to minister to his need. And before that service was over that night, my whole concept of what God was and what he wanted to do and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God was all changed and transformed. So tonight when I begin to talk to you and tell you that there is an objective in my message tonight, an objective in the gospel, the objective is called the church. God was using this gospel message not only to demonstrate his love uh, through Jesus to all of lost humanity, but to bring them into the righteousness of God and salvation and eternal life. So through that, he brought into existence something that he calls the church. Now, if people go out and begin to preach the gospel on the street, and they have no relationship with anybody in the world, and they do not try to take people that are saved and get them established in a local church. What they are doing is bringing forth babies and pitching them in the garbage can, just hoping that everything will work out all right. So the preaching of the gospel is not just the declaration of the truth of the gospel, but the objective behind the declaration of the gospel is that there might spring up all over the world places called churches, and this church was the divine intention of Almighty God from the dawn of the morning of creation and before. I've had people to tell me that God started out with Israel as a nation, and then one day when Jesus came on the scene and they rejected him, one lady said to me, then God had to think up something new. And, and you can see her theology. God says, what I'm going to, am I going to do? They have rejected my son. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll invent something called the church and I'll let it live for a couple of thousand years and then I'll come back to plan A and start all over again. I, I want you to know, I don't want to offend you. I, I guess I really 
don't care. I'm getting more like him. But I, 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 I want to tell you this. If that's what you believe, you will be shocked at my message tonight because I believe that God Almighty, having come through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, and through the apostles whom he called, and the church that he raised up, I believe that church is the ultimate intention of Almighty God through the ages. I believe through the ages we're going to be blessed because we're a part of the church. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that there was a time when we were strangers from the covenants of promise. We were alienated from the covenants of God. We had no hope and and no hope of God. But it says all at once that we that were once far off have been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are no longer alienated. We are no longer strangers, but we are fellow citizens with the saints of God and we are a part of one body. God says that I have taken, in the same book of Ephesians, I have taken twain, I have taken two, and I have put those two together, and as a result of bringing them together, I have made for myself one new man, and that one new man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And my question tonight, if it were God's intention to take of twain, to take of two, and make one new man, if that were the the ultimate intention of God Almighty through the preaching of the gospel, then why would we want to mess up what God has done and draw away from the one and go back to two? I I don't believe it's going to happen. But when we're talking about this thing, it, it all centers, by the way, let me come to one word for you. It all centers on this word that we call righteousness. Paul the apostle talking to the, to the church at Rome He began to talk like this. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, having rejected the righteousness of God, they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. He said, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He said, for Moses, the old covenant, describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, say not in your heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what does it say? It says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Let me stop and say to you that the title of word of faith does not belong to just one segment of the population. Amen? I was a young preacher in 1951, and Barbara and I were pastor in a little church in the city of Port Arthur, Texas, in the south, the extreme southeastern corner of Texas. And there was a big camp meeting going over on, on, in Houston, Texas, which is about 100 miles from us, and we had been attending that camp meeting. 
The camp meeting wasn't over, but it was Wednesday afternoon, and I had a Wednesday night service. So I said, you stay here and enjoy the camp meeting. I'll go home and preach in our church tonight, and I'll come back tomorrow. So I left Houston, Texas, and usually I went straight east into Beaumont, Texas, and then 17 miles south to Port Arthur. But today I have plenty of time, and I decided I would go a new southern route that I had never been before. And I was driving down close to Galveston, Texas, and I had come through the outskirts of Galveston, and then I turned east, headed towards Port Arthur from down close to the, to the coast. And all at once, without any warning, I'm driving down the road, and suddenly, into my car and into my heart, there comes a word. And God said to me, God Almighty said to me, in the month of October 1951, God said, I am going to put my word in your mouth, even the word of faith. I felt as if I were on fire. I knew that I had heard from God. It sounded familiar, but I did not know where that was in the Bible. So when I got to Port Arthur, Texas, I parked in, in front of our little church, and I rushed into my little office. Everything was little because we didn't have a lot of people. And I grabbed uh, Strong's Concordance, and I began to look it up. And finally, I found it right here in Romans chapter 10, verse 8. He said, the word of faith is nigh us. It's in our mouth and in our heart. And that's what we are to preach, that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we, know we will be saved. And that, that's not just salvation. It's the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. Uh, it means a, a total deliverance. If we have this word in our mouth, if we believe in our heart, we can be totally delivered and set free from everything that old Slewfoot would try to put on our life. So all at once... I'm on fire with this idea of the word of faith. And before I knew anybody named Hagen, before I knew anybody named Kenneth Copeland, before I knew anybody who had ever used that name before, in the latter part of the month of October 1951, I incorporated the name Word of Faith in the state of Texas, and on the Sunday night radio broadcast I had, I had had another name, but at that moment, I changed the name of our program to the Word of Faith radio ministry and God began to show signs and wonders and miracles of the Holy Ghost about two weeks after that time I, I, I had our had our uh, uh, program on Sunday night we'd get finished with our Sunday night service then I'd get my choir up here had about 20 members in the choir and I'd make sure they knew the song and I'd get ready we had a remote uh, broadcast and we'd come on the air for 30 minutes and I'd give them that good positive creative word of faith and then I'd turn around and lead the choir and the choir would sing and then I'd bring my uh, number one soloist to the microphone and she's a little thing but she's got a voice like somebody that weighs 490 pounds uh, real low that pushes out and she'd sing for me and about two weeks after God said to me I'm going to put my word in your mouth on a Monday morning telephone rang in our house so I went to the phone I said hello he said is this uh, uh, Pastor Charles Green I said it is 
He said, are you the one that preaches on the radio on KPAC on Sunday night? I said, I am the one. He said, well, uh, now, now this goes against a little of your theology, okay? Give me a little grace here, all right? So uh, he said, uh, my wife is very sick. She's been in the hospital for about three months, and they can't do anything else for her, and they have brought her home. He didn't say that brought her home to die, but that was the inference of the thing. He said, she just can't get out of bed. My wife has heard your program. She believes your message. She wants to know if you will come and pray for her. I said, well, yes, yes sir, I'll do that. I, I said, when do you want me to come? He said, what about right now? Uh, well, inasmuch as our church was very small and I didn't have thousands waiting at my door trying to attract my attention, I felt that I could work it into my schedule. And I said, we'll be there in about an hour. So Barbara and I left our house and we were driving by the home of one of our members and we tried to visit them occasionally when we could. And so we said, let's stop in here and just greet them and say hello. So we stopped in. And they, they, they wanted to have us with a cup of coffee. Now, now, my wife loves coffee. I do not really care for coffee. And especially, I don't care for coffee like they make it in southeast Texas and all over the southern part of Louisiana. The coffee, the little dimitas, you know, uh, you put the, the spoon in it, and it doesn't even fall on the side of the cup. It, it's so thick. It's so strong. It stands, the, the spoon just stands up. And, and, and so they found out that, uh, in fact, I had to finally tell them publicly. Everybody would try to twist my arm. Well, come on, just have a little. So finally, one Sunday morning, I stood up and I said, folks, I love you very much. I'm your pastor and I love you. I said, I'll pray for you when you are sick. I'll bury you when you die. I'll dedicate your children. But I want to tell you publicly, I will not drink your coffee. <laughs> and, and so that settled that. So they, they bought some extra, very weak coffee, and, and they kept it there, and they had a piece of tape across it, and on that tape they had green coffee. They had it just for us when we came. So they got out a little of the green coffee, and we we're getting ready to have real weak coffee. You can see the bottom of the cup with this. And we're starting to drink the coffee. And this lady said, where are you going? I said, well, a Mr. J.P. Logan called me this morning, said his wife is very sick. She listened to our broadcast. She believes our message. He wants, to know, wants me to come and pray for her. I said, that's where we're going. Well, I had only been in this town just a, I'd say, what, two and a half, three months? And uh, she said, who? I said, J.P. Logan. She said, Brother Green, she said, uh, don't you know who J.P. Logan is? I said, I don't have a clue. I don't have any idea. She said, J.P. Logan is the mayor of this city. I said, well, all I know, he called me. So we got to his house. I can still remember he lived on 8th Avenue uh, uh, in, in Port Arthur, Texas. And we went up to this big house and knocked on the door, rang the bell or something. And, and uh, man, Mr. Logan came to the door. And he said, good morning, please come in. And we walked in, and I said, Mr. Logan, you'll have to forgive me. I said, when you talk to me, I said, I've only been in town a short time. I did not know you were the mayor of this city. 
And he said, no problem. And we talked a little while. We met Mrs. Logan. And I'd, I'd never seen a bed that big as she had. It was a big one. And she was laying there just as weak and helpless looking as she could be. And uh, so after visiting a little while, I said, well, let, let's pray for Mrs. Logan. And the mayor, he said, well, all right, I'll just leave you folks uh, with that. And I had no time even to think of what to say to him. So I reached out with my left hand and grabbed him around the wrist like, like, like handcuffs. And I said, no, no, Mr. Mayor. I said, uh, we want to pray together with you and her. So the mayor, I said, in fact, you and I are going to kneel by the bed. And Barbara was down at the foot of the bed. I said, we're all going to lay hands on your wife and pray for her. And we did. No lightning came, no thunder came, nothing unusual, no, no burning pains, nothing that you could think that happened at all. And we said goodbye and left. And that was Monday. We didn't hear anything from them all week long. I, I looked in the newspaper. I didn't see that she had died. So the next Sunday morning... I walked out of my little office for Sunday morning service, and I walked up to the podium, and I was getting ready to have the people to stand. And just as we stood, coming in our front door back here was Mayor and Mrs. Logan. They were walking through the door. She wasn't in bed anymore. She was walking through that door and looking radiant. And as long as we stayed in that city, the mayor of the city of New Orleans was a part of our church. And whatever we need... What, what they did for us in those days, they would kill you for that now. They, they, we, we, one day, I, we needed a parking lot. We had an old lot here, and it was grown over, and you couldn't, you'd bog down if you moved on it. So I stood up one Sunday morning, and I said, we're going to take up an offering for the parking lot. And uh, uh, I said, we need so many dollars. And the mayor uh, waved at me and said, hey, preacher. He said, yes, sir. He said, uh, don't worry about that. Just see me after the service. So after the service... He said, uh, you be here at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning to sign a little agreement giving permission for the city trucks uh, to drive on your property. And the next morning at 8 o'clock, the trucks were lined up. Uh, they put a piece of uh, culvert concrete down, and they covered it, and the trucks rolled over it, and they put out all of the, uh, they put clamshells down and some dirt with it. And all at once, here comes a bulldozer. We had a parking lot before 12 noon and did not pay one one penny, not one dollar for it, uh, and 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 whatever. And, and uh, this is very personal, and I wouldn't want you to go and tell anybody what I'm going to tell you now. But uh, about a month after the mayor got there, I uh, was driving in Port Arthur one night, and I don't know what I was doing. I was just talking, wasn't really thinking. And I kind of slid through a park, a, a, a stop sign. And all at once, here comes a red light. They didn't have blue lights in those days. They were all red. Here comes a red light behind me. And I pull up, and, and they write me a ticket for running that stop sign. So I, you know, I, I, I have a big mouth, and I tell everything. So the next Sunday morning, I said, folks, I want you to forgive me as your pastor. I have become a lawbreaker, and I feel that I need to come before this church and confess my transgression to you and tell you that right here in your city, your pastor has become a lawbreaker. And I told them what I had done. And after the service was over, the mayor came walking up, and he said, where is that ticket? I said, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. 
He said, obviously, you still don't know all of my jobs. He said, I'm not only the mayor of the city, but I am the judge of the traffic court. He said, <laughs> he said, he said you're either going to see me now or see me in court. Where is the ticket? I said, it's in my office. He said, let's get it. I gave it to him. I never saw it again. As I said before, the, the newspapers, the, the TV, they would kill you for that today. But what happened was that God Almighty worked a miracle. I had preached the Word of God on television, and it wasn't just a, just a little uh, Mickey Mouse word. It was the creative Word of faith. And this woman heard it, and she said, I believe it. And when we laid hands upon her and prayed for her this woman did not just get healed she had been under the care of every doctor imaginable in that city this woman had a miracle from God and got up out of bed and walked in our church and walked throughout that city telling people about our church and brought people with them to the house of God when we had been there only a short time we, our, our little church, it, we only had 37 people when we went there. Within four months from the time that, that the mayor's wife uh, got, got delivered, got miraculously healed, uh, we had every seat in our little auditorium, seated almost 200 people. Every seat was filled, and they were standing around the wall trying to get in. And it had happened because of the creative Word of God and because of one more thing. The Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to start having service every night. I said, Lord, by this time I only had about 50 people. I said, Lord, how can these 50 people come to church every night? And he said, I want you to have service every night. So we began to do it. And as I told you, in a matter of about three, three and a half months, everything was filled. He said, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth a confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says... Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference. I want you to listen to this. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All of you preachers, listen to me tonight. You are God Almighty's answer to people that are in darkness. We get to the place where we are accustomed to preaching the gospel. We get to the place where we have declared this story so many times uh, that we wonder if anybody else is interested in it. I'll tell you who's interested in it. Every person that cannot walk 
like the lady that, 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 that could not walk and got healed, Every, everybody whose cancer is so big that it's about to kill them, every one of them are interested in your message if your message offers hope. You are God's hope to a generation that has lost hope. And what I would like to do tonight, when I am finished, I would like to have every minister in this building to come and stand here, and I want to end by just pointing my hand towards you. I'm not going to lay hands upon you. I have declared to you tonight that God Almighty spoke to me, and God said to me he was going to put his word in my mouth, and he said even the word of faith. I can remember the exact words as if it were this morning or yesterday afternoon. And, and, and when I'm finished in a few minutes, I am going to speak a creative word into your life and into your ministry, and I am going to believe with you that the man that came to this conference, the woman that came to this conference, is not going to be the man or the woman that will leave this conference. You're, you're, you're not going to leave the way you came. There's going to be an impartation into your life and into your ministry, and it all happens because we believe the word of the living God. We we believe in this gospel that we are preaching, but I don't want you to go home and just mouth phrases of the gospel. I want you to go home with the feeling in your heart and the certainty in your life that when you preach the gospel again to your congregation and to your city, it's going to be as if you had never preached it before. They're going to hear it in a brand new way out of your mouth from the way they've ever heard it before. Would you say Amen to that. Amen. Praise God. I want us to think about what Paul was saying there. And tonight, by the way, while I'm preaching to you, if I say something different from the way you believe it, I'm going to ask a favor of you. I do not want you to contest what I'm saying or what I believe and what I'm preaching. I do not want you to contest it on the basis of your tradition or anybody else's tradition. I, I do not want you to contest my word to you tonight on the basis of your denominational position. I, I don't want that to happen. If you want to contest what I'm saying tonight, you certainly may do that, but I'm saying that the only basis upon which you may do it is the Bible, the Word of God. And I'm telling you tonight that the whole story of what God wants to do for the human race is to bring the righteousness of God to those who will believe and call upon His name and out of those that come up out of darkness and out of the pit that we were singing about tonight God is going to cause them to be formed into these things called local churches. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's too late. It's too late for us to play games with our local church. It's time that we begin to believe that our church can transform the city where we are. I was sitting here this morning when the bishop was talking. And I knew something. I knew it. I'm going to tell you what it is. Our church started in June of 1953. It started in the ghetto of New Orleans, Louisiana. It started with 10 people. It started with $15 a week income. 
We, we worshiped in an old hall that, had, that, that belonged to what they called the veterans of foreign wars. And I went, I needed a place to preach. I went and tried to rent this hall. And they said, oh, no, no. We only rent our hall to people who belong to our group. And they were veterans of foreign wars. Well, I went home and I got my army discharge papers that showed that I went overseas and I landed in Calcutta, India and I went up into to central Burma and lived in the jungles for about 14 months and I put that discharge under their nose and I said, do you think that's far enough? I, I, I said, I was, I was in a war. I said, I've got a, I've got a ribbon that says I was in a battle zone. I've got a star there that says the battle was going at the time that I was there. Now what I did not tell them is I was in a battle zone and there was a battle going on but the only enemy that I ever saw were prisoners of war. I, I never saw any more of the enemy. I didn't tell them that but I had the credentials. I joined their organization. Then I said rent me your hall. They did. I paid $27 a week. Now I only had 23 people at this time. I paid $27 a week to have the hall Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and Thursday morning for a prayer meeting. All of those times for $27. That's a long time ago. And we began to have our little church. And God began to do something that was unusual, something that was wonderful. And I went on the radio. In fact, I preached on the radio in New Orleans, Louisiana, over 50 years without stopping. I have the record for the longest running radio broadcast, whether it be religious or commercial, the longest running radio broadcast in the history of New Orleans, Louisiana. In the process of all of this, we built, we built, I don't, I'm not talking about uh, just renting, we built uh, uh, one auditorium after another, bigger than the other, until finally we built one that seated 3,000 people who is not full every Sunday, but it has been filled many times. And in the process of that, our church changed we changed the city that we live in. New Orleans, Louisiana, Metro New Orleans is 1.4 million people and our local church changed the city of New Orleans. There are things that happen there now that did not happen before and they changed because of the gospel that we preached and the power of God that was with us and the touch of God that went out of that building and saved the lost and healed the sick and brought families together, 85 to 90 percent of our congregation are former Roman Catholic people that in the beginning of our being there, they would not put their foot in our church. They were as bad as the Muslims. They, they said, we can't come. We would sin if we go to your church. And I kept telling them just what the bishop was saying. They would call and say, we've heard your program. We want you to come to our house and pray for us. I said, I'm not going to do it. I said, I want you to come to the church and in the midst of our service, in the midst of our praise, in the midst of the ministry of God, I said, we'll pray for you. And they would say to me over and over, we can't come to your church. That would be a sin. But I kept on preaching on the radio. And then one day, Pope Pius Twelfth died. And they couldn't make up their mind who they wanted to be Pope. 
for a long period of time. So they picked out an old man by the name of Ron Kelly, and they elected him the Pope, thinking that he wouldn't stay around long, that he certainly could not do too much damage. And he called himself John the 23rd. And when John the 23rd became Pope, John the 23rd said two things. He sent out a message to all of the Catholics around the world. He said, number one, let's open the windows of the church and let in a breath of fresh air. Let's have some other ideas. I later told one of my friends who was a priest, I said, you're a pope. <laughs> said, let's open the windows and let in a fresh breeze. And I said, what blew in your windows is the wind of the Holy Ghost. And that was true. The Spirit of God fell on those Catholics. And the second thing that Pope John said, he said, it's not a sin if you want to just go and visit another church. You can't, you can't stay in that church, but you can go and visit if you have friends there. All at once, because of our radio broadcast, because of this built-up power that had been going on, and because of their desire, people began to flood in the door. They began to come from everywhere. We did not know where we were going to put them. We, we started two services on Sunday morning. We, we could seat about 900 people in our auditorium at that time, and, and there were people out in the foyer with a closed-circuit television, and the ushers were coming and telling me there are people that are coming to the parking lot, and they're parking three blocks away, and there are people that are coming, and because they can't find a parking place, they're leaving. They're going home. So I said, we're going to have two services on Sunday morning. And the first thing you know, our city began to take note. And one day, one day, I had to go to the city hall. I had to go before the city council. We wanted to build another building. And in that place where we were, the building that we wanted to build, they said, you can't do that. And they said, if you want to do that, you've got to come before the city council and, and get them to let you do it or not do it. So I walked in the door of the city council on this Thursday morning, and I sat at the back while other people were arguing. They were fussing. They were fighting. They, they had one church that all of their neighbors of this church was trying to stomp the church into the ground. And, and I listened to that. And, and all at once, one of the council people slipped off of their place and came down to me and said, Pastor Green, it's so good to see you in the council chambers. I said, yes. I said, I have something to talk to you uh, people about today. Oh, he said, we know about that. But he said, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes. We want to have you come and open the next session with prayer. And we want you to pray for the city council. I said, look, I've got a problem with you. He said, we know what it is. It's not going to be a problem, but we want your prayers for us and for our city. And, and, and lo and behold, I did it. I did it. One day I'm driving down the road. I'm talking about one church can change a city. One church can change the officials. This is what I'm challenging you to do. You have this wonderful instrument that you've been hearing about called the gospel. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to get up and mouth the phrase, well, Jesus died and he shed his blood and they buried him and he rose again and he took off and he go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I have news for you. Even after the day of Pentecost, the disciples did not do what Jesus 
Messiah told them to do. They, they stayed in Jerusalem. They had, they had a Jerusalem bless me club. And they stayed there until a fellow by the name of Saul began to come into their houses and drag them out and put them in jail. And it wasn't until the persecution came that they got out of town and began to fulfill the, 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 the gospel message and the word that Jesus told them to do. I'm driving down the street one day. Main Street in New Orleans called Canal Street. All at once, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Philip Ciasio. Now, I'm giving his name because I have permission to do that. I want you to go to Philip Ciasio. That was my councilman. He was a Catholic man I had only met about one time before. I want you to go to him and give him a word from me. And I kept driving in the opposite direction. I said, there are too many nuts in this city already. I'm not going to do some nutty thing like that. I kept driving, and God began to just pull me like an elastic band. And suddenly I said, okay, I'll, I'll say, well, let, let's do it. I turned around and drove to the city hall. And there was only one parking place there, and it said Philip Ciasio on it. I parked in his place. I went up to the second floor. The secretary said, can I help you? I said, yes. My name is Charles Green. I'm a pastor. I'd like to see the councilman for just about three minutes, please. She said, he's getting ready to go into the council. I said, I, know, I understand that. But she said, I'll call and see. And I'm sitting there at this moment, and I did not know what to tell him. God said, go give him a message. But I did not know at this moment what the message was. All at once, he opens the door and said, Pastor, come in. I want to have about five minutes. I said, that's all I need. And all at once, I knew what to tell him. I walked over to him, and I shook hands with him. I said, Councilman, I'm so glad to see you again. I said, but I've come to you with a message from God. I said, do you believe in that? He said, absolutely. I said, Councilman, about 20 minutes ago, I was driving down Canal Street, and I said, God Almighty spoke to me. You know, when this happens, either he spoke or he didn't. Either you're going to be successful in this town, or they're going to ride you out of town on a rail, okay? And I said, Councilman, God wanted me to tell you that you are not only doing a good job as a council person, but you're doing a good job. You're acting on behalf of God Almighty. You are a man of integrity, and God is going to help you, and the needs that are in your life, God is going to meet for you. And I said, that's it. And I got up and walked out the door. Didn't hear a thing. He didn't say, that's true, that's false. Get out of my office. Didn't say a word except, thank you for coming. About two months later, my secretary buzzed me. She said, Pastor, there's a councilman CSEO on the phone for you. I said, good. I picked up the phone. He said, Pastor, could I see you very soon? I said, how soon? Could I see you this afternoon? I said, uh, I'm going to leave here about 3.30, 4 o'clock. He said, could you meet with me at my office about 4 o'clock? Uh, not in the city hall, my office. I said, yes, I can do that. And at 4 o'clock, I went up the elevator. Elevator door opened. I was in his office. He had sent his secretary home. We walked into his office. He said, Pastor, he gave, gave me a little cup of coffee. I sipped it a little bit and then pushed it aside. He said, Pastor, I guess you probably wonder why I called you. I said, yes, sir. He said, do you remember a few weeks ago you came to see me? I said, oh, yes. Yes, I remember that. He said, Pastor, on that day, he said, I had reached what I felt was the end 
of my endurance. He said, I had two mag magnitude of problems. He said, number one, one of the most powerful political people in this state was my enemy doing his best to stomp me into the ground. He said, the other problem I had from my last election, I owed the bank so much money that I could not pay them, and they had just called me on the phone and told me that I had just a few days to pay them or they were going to move against me uh, legally. He said, I had these two problems facing me and you walk in my door and tell me that God Almighty says that he's going to minister to my needs. Do you remember? I said, yes. He said, that was a Thursday morning. He said, on Friday morning, approximately 24 hours, after you walked out of my door, he said, my phone rang, and it was that big political enemy that I had. And I said, hello? He said, Philip? Yes. Philip, I called you for a reason. I called you to tell you that you are really doing a great job for the city of New Orleans, and I want to be your friend. I don't want us to be enemies any longer. I want to be your friend. He said, we talked, and my heart was lighter, but I still had the problem with the money. He said, we hung up, and within 10 minutes, he said, the president of the bank called me on the phone 24 hours after the word from God. And he said, uh, Philip, uh, councilman, he said, our bank uh, managers have met this morning, and we feel that you're doing such a great job in the city of of New Orleans, uh, we don't want to do anything to hurt you at all. You have all the time that you need to pay the money back. He said, that's what happened in my life. He said, now, Reverend, he said, we've got something that's desperately important for the city of New Orleans. It's coming up to a vote next Thursday morning. He said, three of the councilmen are on one side of this problem. Three of them on the other side, he said, my vote is going to decide which way our city is going to go. And he said, Reverend, when I was praying and asking God for wisdom, uh, he, he spoke to my inner heart and told me to send for you. And he said, the reason you're here, I want to tell you what the problem is, and I want you to tell me what is the will of God for me. How should I vote next Thursday? And here I am, a pastor of a church with about 1,500 people at that time, and I am changing the very complexion of New Orleans, Louisiana, not because I am such a fantastic preacher. You listen to me tonight. There are thousands that can beat me preaching, but I had heard from God, and our local church was changing the face of the city of New Orleans, and you can go home and do exactly the same thing if you will. I said to the councilman, I said, you and I ought to pray about this, sir. I said, but you ought to come to God, not as just somebody, but you ought to come to God as his child, talking to your heavenly father. I said, now, councilman, I know that you have a religion. I know that you belong to a church. But I said to him, councilman, has there ever been a time that you have asked Jesus to come into your heart. And you've asked the blood that the blood of Jesus Christ, 
that was shed on the cross would cleanse you from all your sin and have you promised him that you're going to walk with him, you're going to believe in him, Jesus as Lord, have you ever done that? He said, no, I have not. I said, would you like to do that? He said, I would. I said, then come out from behind your desk. Here is a sofa. I said, let you and I kneel down and pray here. I said, first of all, I'm going to pray for you. And then when I get through praying for you, I'm going to lead you in prayer, and I'm going to ask you to call on the name of the Lord. Will you do that? He said, yes, I will. And before I walked out of that door, my councilman had given his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of the power of the blood of Jesus, he was saved. Well, I went home with all this spectacular thing. And I only told Barbara because I felt that I couldn't tell anybody else because it was a private meeting between me and the councilman. But, but two Sunday mornings later, I look up and my councilman is sitting out in the congregation. And just before I preach, I said, my good friend, we were good friends then, you know. And I said, my good friend, Councilman Ciasio is here. And I said, I'm going to ask him to stand and let's give him a hand of welcome. Well, that's all I ask him to do. He stands up. He starts walking on people's feet to get out of his seat. He comes out to the aisle. He walks up the aisle. He walks up onto the platform. And I'm standing amazed behind the podium. I don't know what's happening except I see him coming. He comes and stands right by me. And I hand him the microphone. And he told them this whole story publicly before my church. He said, I am dedicated to providing in this city whatever I can for you and this church. We had changed the complexion of a city by the creative power of the word of faith. Paul said, my heart's desire... I just saw Barbara looking at her watch. So I'm going to be through. I'm going to finish in seven minutes. Can you stay awake that long? That's okay? Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. I have seven points, and this is number one. I don't want to shock you, but I'm not going any further than number two, okay? Settle down, girl. My heart's desire... And prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That should be our heart's desire and our prayer to God for everybody in the cities where we are and for everybody in our nation. I believe with, what was this, Bishop, 72% that are Christians here? I'm going to tell you what I believe tonight. I might not speak to you another time in this conference. I don't know. It's not important whether I do or whether I don't. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. I believe, and I'm going to shout my belief to you, that God Almighty, by His power, can take those 72% that have already identified themselves as Christian, and God Almighty can put something of His Word and His power and His sense of direction in their hearts, and they can beat a, thousands of them. Thousands of them can beat a path to the door of the Peniel Church. And when they begin to do that, when that starts to happen, this man has a problem on his hand. What is he going to do? I tell you what he'll have to do. 
He'll have to go to the council and tell them I have these thousands of people standing out there disrupting traffic. If you would let me build a much larger auditorium, we could take care of them better. And this old stuck-in-the-mud attitude that you can't build anything except something on this track that is already here, that's a bunch of malarkey. That's a bunch of baloney. God Almighty can change that in a moment's time, and God Almighty can put a building on this property or on that school property out there that will see thousands of people and this church can begin. It's already doing that. It's already changing this nation, but I believe it can begin to do it much faster. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, but here's their problem. He said they, they don't believe for the righteousness of God in the right way. He said they're trying to work their way. Most of those 72% Christians, they believe that they're going to have to stay good enough to stay saved. If they could only hear the true message of the Word of God, if they could only know that it's not because of their works, but because of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, that they are cleansed and saved and heaven bound. If they could only know that, only God knows what could happen to change not just the city, but to change this whole country. He said they have a zeal for God. But it's not enough to have a zeal for God. These folks used to have a zeal for God when they were a little church. They'd jump and hoop and holler until the middle of the afternoon. But one day something happened to this man. Something happened to him. And he found out that it's not how high you jump. It's not how loud you holler. But it's your faith in what God has told you. And what God is telling you tonight is that this thing will work. This gospel will work. I want you to stand on your feet. This gospel will work. What, what I'm concerned about, what I'm concerned about, and I'm going to tell you flat, my concern, my concern for this conference, I'm concerned that you will listen to the bishop excited about this, and you'll just kind of write him off and say, oh, well, he's always talking about that. Well, bless God. Thank God that he does talk about it. Thank God that he doesn't put upon you the first church of condemnation like I grew up in. Thank God that he said a while ago that it's not the past, but it's the future. It's not where have you been, but where do you want to go? Thank God for that. What I don't want you to do, I don't want you to walk away from this conference and have just the quotation of the words of the gospel without having the power of the gospel that will not only transform your life, but transform the lives of others. I want every minister, I want every pastor, every minister, evangelist, pastor, teacher, whatever you think you are, apostle, prophet, I want you to come and stand down here. Come as close as you can right now. Come as close as you can. What I'm talking about is the real thing. Not talking about mouthing phrases, talking about the power of God. If this kind of power had not been real, this man wouldn't be here. You've heard his story. He's a London Bobby. He was an atheist. And, and of all the unlikely creatures in the world, that God would pick out a sweet, loving guy like Dima Shakarian to somehow talk to him. I mean, so, some guy from America, and you know those Americans, they, they don't have good sense anyway. 
And, and here's a guy that was a dairy farmer. How in the world is this crazy atheist going to believe in the validity of a dairy farmer that's trying to act like a preacher? I mean, unless God Almighty had touched his heart, he wouldn't be here. The, the thing that I'm talking about, this power of God, it changed him. It transformed him. The other blessing that it gave him was this woman, his wife. He'd been a mess if he hadn't met her. He wouldn't have made it. I mean, I, 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 I know him. I mean, without Ruth, uh, you, you, could, you, write, you, you could have written him off. You know, I mean, he, he would have goofed up somewhere. This is the, the, Jesus is his Savior, but this is his anchor right here. Yeah, this is the balance of his life. He might run me out of town after this tonight, but I've already had my say, okay? I mean, he struts up and down here and talks rough, and I don't care what you think. Well, I'm not too concerned about whether he likes this or not either because I'm preaching the Bible, and I'm saying true words about him. This man has one of the greatest loves for humanity. He has one of the greatest energized messages for the miraculous of God of anybody that I know on the face of the earth. I mean, T.L. Osborne was, has, has grown older. He's still good. But somewhere there has to be others that will rise up. Here's one of them that's rising up. I want you to rise up. I want you to rise up. Amen? All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your right hand and hold it up like this. And I want you to put it a little bit towards me. Put it towards me. And my hand is toward you. You and I are in fellowship right now. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe what I've preached to you tonight? You do? Are you willing to accept what I've said to you? Do you believe in the creative word of faith? Do you believe that God Almighty in a moment's of time can transform your ministry? He can transform the, the very life that you have lived. Amen. He can transform your church through the transformation that he's going to do in your life. Do you believe that? Yes. All right, listen to me for just a moment. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to get you to make a confession, okay? I live among all those Catholics, and I've learned how to go to confession, okay? I'm going to bring you to confession in just a few moments. But hear me now. Don't pray now. Listen to me. Father God, no. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, I ask you to put into operation by the power of Jesus, by the power of the gospel, through the power of, of God Almighty, that creative word of faith, I ask you, Father, to touch every life that is standing before me tonight. Transform their communities through them. Transform their ministry. Make them over into powerful men and women of God and let them go home with a feeling deep within, with God's help, I can do this. Without him, I could do nothing. But I'm not going home without him. I'm going home with him. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. What he can do, I can do. And I'm going home to change my community. That's what we're going to pray about. Are you ready? Say these words. God Almighty. God Almighty. Through, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. His wonderful name. The Son of the living God. I present myself tonight. I ask you to touch my life. Let there be an impartation. Impartation. 
Let there be an impartation into my mouth. Let the impartation be in my heart. I am going to believe. I am going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord in my life. He's Lord in my church. He's Lord over my city. Father, in the name of Jesus, empower my voice. Empower my words. Empower my mind. I'm going home. A new person. A new minister. I'm going to be your voice in my area. I thank you, Lord. I believe you. I confess. I believe what I confess. I receive what I confess. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You don't have to do that. You know his healing powers right here. <laughs> no sweat. No sweat. Lord Jesus. Keep Ramanada Vasto. Sapurantia. Nyavarusta. Keep Rostivina. Is coming to power. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. I loose the bands from off your being right now. I tell you, there's no power. No power. Power can resist. No power can resist this power. I break these chains from off you. They've been on you all your life. This day I remove them. I command life. Life in your whole being. From this day, all the oppression that's been on your mind, on your body, on your being is going to lift off. It's going to come off like a cloak from right off your being. You're going to feel it go. You're going to feel it go. Stephen, our minister, peace, and rest, and life. It's as easy as that. Don't ever come back. Look at me. Look at me. It's over. Won't ever come back, son. It's good, isn't it? Feels better. 
I feel better. Amen. Go on. Amen. Go on. <laughs> Been a long time. Long time coming. He loves you. Okay. Yeah. Won't ever come back. Gone for good. He's too good. Bible says, now unto him who's able to keep you from falling. Amen. All right? Amen. Lived with fear a lot of your life. And the fear's been terribly tormenting within you. Look at me. Look at me. I don't want you to dodge. Look at me. Look. That fear is going to lift off right out of your whole being. And it'll never return. Never return. Receive it. I break its power over this being, over this mind, over this heart. You've always felt you'd be rejected. Yes. You've always felt God has rejected you. I want to tell you, the devil is a liar. It's a lie you've believed, and it's a lie that's tormented you. Even when you get up to declare the truth, you fear. Well, this fear is going to go forever. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a sound mind. And in the name of Jesus, I command this fear, you lift off his being, you come out of this body, you don't distort him, you don't twist him anymore. Come right off him and let him go. From this day on, it's over. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. It's over, fella. Hey. Won't come back. That's what caused the physical manifestations. They're over. It's nice to see your eyes. Got good eyes. Our God is a good God. Amen. And nothing he won't do for you. Nothing. If you need a miracle, just put your right hand up. You know, if you need a miracle. If you've got a problem with your eyes, put your hand on your eyes. Problem with your ears. Problem with your chest. Problem with your stomach. Problem with your neck. But wherever you've got your problem, put your hand where it is. If it's on your knees, put your hand on your knees. Head, put your hand on your head. God's going to do it. He's going to do it because he'll do it. I'm going to pray. It's God's hand that you need, not mine. In the name of Jesus, I curse every affliction. 
I command life and health and liberty right now in Jesus' name. I loose the bands that bind. I command blind eyes. You're going to open. You're going to see. You're going to clear in Jesus' name. I command every oppression on the mind and the head you lift off in Jesus' name. Chest, stomachs, be healed. I command every inflamed joint, you go normal. Every deaf ear, you open. Inflamed joints, I command you to go normal in Jesus' name. I set you free. I command life and health. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, begin to move your body around. Do what you couldn't do. It's simple as that. If you had a bad neck, just start to move it. Bad leg, start to move it. Just start moving it. What you couldn't do, do. Simple as that.